Living in the NICU is a world changer. It strips down all of these external concerns in our life and helped us really look at the core of what was important. We had to make a choice. We really shifted at that point and said, okay, whatever happens, regardless of the outcome, we're gonna choose to find some joy in this. That was a hard choice, but it brought incredible peace for us. And really our journey changed. The reality is all of us are gonna have some sort of challenges, whatever they are along the way, and we get to choose how to react to them. That was a really big truth for us, and it really has shaped every point of our life since. Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Janie Friedland's motto is joy in the journey. Her life was shaped through the experience of having a child born with a critical illness. But Janie and her husband Gary made a conscious choice that this would not be a story of sadness and bitterness, but rather a story of gratitude and joy. And for the past 11 years, Janie and Gary have paid this gift forward through Matea's Joy, a nonprofit devoted to helping families with sick kids to find joy in their own journeys. Jamie's message will remind you of what's most important and all that we have to be grateful for. Get ready to be inspired by the incredible story of Jamie Friedland. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am joined today by Jamie Friedland. Jamie worked in Cutco Vector for about six years in the Chicagoland area. She worked very closely with Mike Muriel for a while. She advanced as far as district manager, produced almost a million dollars in sales over her Cutco Vector career. And then after leaving the company, she got into some family businesses. She is the CFO of two separate family businesses that she has been building now for the last 15 years. Jamie is also the co-founder of Matea's Joy, which is a nonprofit committed to bringing joy in the journey to families with sick kids. She's got an amazing story to tell and a lot of valuable lessons. Jamie Friedland, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. It's really great to have on beyond the podcast today. All right. Well, I understand that your spirit for giving, for serving other people, goes way back to uh, your early days. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So growing up, I went to schools that really promoted volunteerism. So they had required volunteer hours that I had to do as a student, but it gave me some really remarkable opportunities to volunteer and it helped me understand how much I love it. So it was everything from ministering at a local nursing home to helping out at fundraisers. And in high school, I had a chance to be the president of a Z club with Zanta International that fights for women's rights. And those sorts of experiences were just awesome. And so when I went to college and had sort of my choice in it, it was fun. I realized I really wanted to still reach out and serve the community. And probably my highlight volunteer experience during college was I, I tutored some underprivileged kids at a local neighborhood and got off campus and loved it. Amazing. And so this sort of set the tone for you to maintain this uh, habit of serving others as a, this practice of serving others is something that was mm-hmm. very, very important to you all throughout your life. And that's definitely going to come into play as we discuss a lot more of your story here today. Cool yeah. to hear. So then it's, uh, it's May of 2000. You start selling Cutco. How'd you hear about the company? I did. Got a letter in the mail. So I got a letter in the mail, was looking for a summer job and the pay looked great. So I went in for an interview and I started that summer in the Champaign office where I was going to school at the University of Illinois. Awesome. What do you remember most from your rep and assistant manager days, the early days? It was awesome. I have to say, it was good. I recently got my dad's feedback on my experience with Cutco Vector. And he was like, that was a turning point. Like, you came out of your shell. It was something that was wildly outside my comfort zone. He shared with me, I really thought, like, you would never do something like that, like a sales job and meeting with individuals. He probably would have described me as more shy as I was growing up. And it was incredible. It challenged me in ways that I had never been challenged before and helped me really understand that I could do some hard things and really learn and grow from them. So it was fun. And I just, I loved the people I met and it was a, it was really a fun experience. Are there stories that stand out from those initial uh, years that you were a rep and an assistant manager? Sure. I mean, team meetings were always great. I'm going out to places like Denny's afterwards and just making some new connections with people. And really going into people's homes was pretty incredible. At first, I was nervous. But it's there's something special about connecting with someone across their kitchen table. Like you learn and meet remarkable people you would never find if you weren't sitting there. I mean, people, regardless of what their profession is or walk of life, when you sit at someone's kitchen table, you can, it's like, I learned so much, even from the customers I got to meet and serve. It was really cool. It is really a unique setting in which to sit down with someone. And I had some really amazing experiences as well and met some really, really cool people. And I can very much echo your sentiment about coming out of your comfort zone and doing things that were, you know, not the norm for you. I was a really awkward kid in high school. You know, I was a good student, but I didn't have very good social skills. And when I came home after my interview with Cutco, you know, my mom kind of laughed when when I described what I was going to be doing. She's like, how are you going to do something (laughs) like that? And it, it was easy enough for me to sit down with my mom or my friend's mothers or my mother's friends or other close relatives I had. It was easy enough to do that, but that was a stepping stone to the next step, right? 
which, you know, helped me to uh, develop much greater communication skills in general Mm -hmm. and more confidence as well in anything that I would be doing. So these days, Jamie, our new reps do it via Zoom with the customer, believe it or not. So you lose a little bit of that element of sitting across the kitchen table, but at the same time, they can do a whole lot more appointments. It becomes a lot easier for them to access people and we have really good results with it. So it's well, cool. and I think not everything is lost, even though you have to do it over technology. You can still kind of have that confidence and take command and ask someone to go get a tomato to cut during your demo. Or I think that that's exciting that they can maximize their time and utilize technology. Yeah, for sure. So you were a rep for a while. You were an assistant manager for a while. You ran a branch. And I understand in your branch, you recruited Kyle Smith. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. The summer I graduated from the University of Illinois, 02, I opened a branch. And one of my very first training classes, Kyle Smith, was a recruit. And it was so fun to watch Kyle have a successful summer and really work as a team to see that happen. It It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. What else can you tell us about the young Kyle Smith? (laughs) Well, if you haven't figured out yet, Kyle can really sing. So, and uh, he's just an all in all great guy. So I'm not going to embarrass Kyle with anything, but he's, he's a gem and it was a, a privilege to become a friend with him over time. And that summer was, we had a hoop. So, you know, typical branch office, you know, we had multicolored walls that were bright. And the fact that he came in and said yes to my interview was exciting. And I loved it. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, he, he's obviously a, a, a key contributor to the success of the central region and the company and has been for many years now. So very cool that uh, you, you were the source of uh, Kyle Smith starting with Petco. <laughs> yeah. So I understand at that point, you became a district manager for a while. You also had a role where you worked closely with Mike Muriel for Mm -hmm. a while. What lessons stand out from this part of your career? Absolutely. Particularly working with Mike and part of his division and then also closely helping his division in a support role. Just the value of surrounding yourself with some other great leaders that you can glean things from them. I love sitting around a table. I have very poignant memories of Mike has a gift of bringing really great talent together and to learn from one another and fostering that environment. Sitting around a table, a small group of us managers learning from John Broman about things that were important in his life and taking lessons. There's so many really cool things and examples. Leadership, just having the the heart of a servant leader and what important things that can be caring for those that you lead and the importance of that, a growth mindset. I think to be successful, especially in an entrepreneurial career, it's this idea of failing forward. There's always going to be moments that you go down a little to go up more. And that was a really valuable role that I've been able to take outside of Cutco Vector. And ancillary things. I mean, goal setting is huge. The fact that you can build a skill set that includes setting and achieving goals that helps in any part of life. But I had individuals while I worked for Cutco Vector that were equally thoughtful about making sure I knew about investing, about learning from different sources that were going to help my life and my future career and not just get more sales for their office or for, for my office. It definitely 
it was really meaningful. And I could tell that those around me and helping to lead me were, they cared about my success. Yeah. It says something about you also that Mike selected you for this role where you were playing a key support to the entire division and to him. And so I think that there's, there's obviously a lot of great leadership ability that you brought to the table to be part of that table of leaders that you described. The experience of failing forward, just this whole idea that we're all going to experience challenges and that we have to be able to learn how to move past those things. It's so good to experience those at a young age. And there's just such real valuable uh, growth that happens when we go through those things. And I, I just love the fact that in in Cutco, people have a chance to experience failure, but not necessarily you know a devastating failure, but lots of little ones all the time where you set a goal, maybe you don't hit it, you know, or yeah. you you know have a objective or for a contest and you don't win. And there's so much we learn about ourselves. It reveals so much about ourselves as we're going through mm-hmm. those experiences that help us to become better and better for the next experiences down the road. And that that element of just setting goals, there's a Jim Rohnism where he says you can either make a living or design a life. And I think that in mm-hmm. in Cutco, we've taught people for years how to design their life yeah. by setting and achieving small goals over and over again and gradually up-leveling those goals as you progress. And I'm sure all of that comes into play in you know, the businesses that you're helping to run now and uh, and in your personal life as well. Any other things that stand out from your Cutco Vector days? It was my first entrepreneurial experience. I think that's poignant. I don't know if I didn't decide to branch that summer after college. And I just went... I studied advertising and marketing in college. And if I had just gone to work for an ad agency and got an entry-level position, I think my life would have taken a very different route. It really created a different view of sort of what you said, like what I wanted life to look like, not just my career. And that was important. It was a pretty significant turning point, I would say, and where what path I was going to take. Wow, that's really powerful to hear. So then at this point, we arrive at 2006 and you get into a family-owned business that you helped to start and that you've built now ever since then. And it's branched off into two businesses. Can you tell us a little bit about this path? Absolutely. So my father-in-law had worked for a company for 30 plus years and essentially experienced downsizing in his industry and decided to kind of go out on his own with a business partner. And they came to me and said, Hey, you know, you want to help us grow this? So I said, yes, I kind of took a leap of faith with them and brought, took my entrepreneurial experience. I received with Cutco and help them grow. We had those two and I when we started. And when right now we have over 30 employees, we started a second company in the middle of the pandemic, really this last year. It just kind of the timeline bounced that way, a sister company to the work we do. It's called uh, Turnkey Environmental and Special Waste Disposal. They work jointly together and we're the turnkeys, the largest independent used oil and environmental transportation provider in the Chicagoland area. Cool. Tell us a little bit about this process of building it up. Like, What were some of the challenges that you experienced as you're growing the organization? Oh, there's always challenges growing an organization. We learned a lot. I think that I wasn't afraid, all of us collectively, to say, hey, we're going to try this and it may not work. 
And if it does, great. And if it doesn't, what can we learn from it? So we had a lot of those moments over the last 15 years. When I started with them, we didn't even own trucks. We were just consulting and having the choices along the way to sort of add services and to learn how to run a fleet of trucks. That's not something that any of us really knew how to do, but we learned and we found out. It's really cool. And on the flip side, the the value of people has never been so important to me. And having great employees really is the foundation of any great company. And we have some pretty awesome people that we've we've had around us building the company. It's really cool. Yeah. What are some of the skills from your vector experience that you feel like have helped you to build your companies? <laughs> All of the above. The ones I said to you earlier, it was in a lot of ways seamless. It was the goal setting and, you know, having the ability, I mean, I said I have this advertising marketing background and I jumped into this financial realm of helping with all of the financial aspects of our business. And early on, we were all doing any job really other than driving the truck. (laughs) I wasn't doing that, but it gave me when running my office, I mean, I, I did get, Hey, how do I create the budget and set goals and be financially minded to be able to start this other company? It gave me the confidence to realize, yeah, I can figure this out. And that was super valuable. You described having great employees. Are there, are there any sort of elements of the Cutco vector culture that you try to bring to working with (laughs) your current employees? We definitely don't have team meetings or anything like that, but the value of appreciating employees and really that coming from the culture at, in Cutco Vector, I think that's important. Yeah, see, I have a lot of friends that that you know run businesses of the size of yours with uh, you know thirty ish. You have thirty employees mm-hmm. at this point, and they often will talk about how there are pieces of what we did in Vector that they try to make sure they're doing with their employees, whether it's uh, the recognition piece or taking an interest in individuals' personal lives doing mm-hmm. thi- doing things together outside of work where there's bonding and you, it becomes a little bit more of a family feel. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's all, there's all kinds of things that I think people, people like to bring to their teams from the Cutco Vector experience that I've noticed. Definitely. Yeah. Anything else you could share on what you feel has helped you build a successful operation? You guys are doing really well and it's continuing to grow. Any other advice you would give for young entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think not underestimating the value of millimeter steps in your progress. Sometimes we want the goal and want to be there immediately that we don't see the value in itty bitty steps consistently that get you there. And that is powerful. Doing a little bit consistently over time is wildly more important than making these huge leaps and efforts, but not doing it consistently. The value of habits. So, Excellent. I love that point. The value of millimeter steps and the habits that are established for success. Very good stuff. Let's turn back the clock to 2009 Yeah. at this point. And I would love for you to share with us the story of Matea. Yeah. So in 2009, I was pregnant with our second daughter, Matea, and went in for my routine ultrasound around 20 weeks. And they discovered that she had some medical issues going on. Some fluid had developed in her lungs and they just saw some things that weren't how they should be. So I was referred to work with a teaching hospital, the University of Chicago. And that's about an hour from our home. 
And so the next several weeks before her delivery, I spent at doctor's appointments, a little sleepless nights, some worries and concerns. We received a diagnosis that she had Down syndrome, which wasn't directly connected to her health issues. And things weren't great. We scheduled a delivery for her at 32 weeks under doctor's suggestions based on the progress of her health. And they gave us about a 5% chance of her survival at birth. So we went into delivery really expecting that we may not have any time with her. So she was delivered on April 13th of 2009, and she lived. She was with us for nine and a half months. And I have to say, I think our perspective, we were grateful for that time. I think we went into her birth. Of course, we grieved this life we thought she would have, especially at the diagnosis with her health. But we we learned a lot in that journey. And when she was delivered, we spent 13 weeks in a neonatal intensive care unit with her bedside. And that experience really was a turning point in our lives. Early on in those weeks, we had to make a choice. There's a moment, my husband and I, Gary... We're in the lounge waiting to be able to go back into see Matea in the unit. And there was another mother who had just lost her child. And she was very distraught as any mom would be, but she was bitter. She was really angry. We could just almost palpably feel that in her. And we looked at one another and sort of said, we don't want that. That's not what we want to feel. And we made a choice at that point that we wanted to go forward with a different sort of outlook. And we're really strong faith family. And so for us, prayer was a part of our journey. And we really shifted at that point and said, okay, whatever happens, not if she gets healthy or she survives and things are great, regardless of the outcome, we're going to choose to find some joy in this. And that was a hard choice, but it brought incredible peace for us. And really our journey changed. We chose to celebrate many milestones with her, things that you would celebrate with a normal progressing child were a little different. We celebrated the first day she got a bath, the first day that we were able to feed her ourselves. Living in the NICU is sort of a a world changer. It strips down all of these external concerns in our life and helped us really look at the core of what was important. We did Mm -hmm. go home with her. We're home with her for a couple of months in the summer and had in and out of the hospital a bit. And that was joyful. Our oldest daughter, Reese, was just under three at the time. And she has those memories and photographs, really, of that time with Matea. And we went back into the hospital for several months before she passed away in January, early the next year. And we learned what it was like to be bedside with a medically fragile child and what that does for families. Yes, I think a lot of families will have some like financial struggles and things, but the sort of the gap we saw that wasn't necessarily being filled is just this loneliness and this feeling that no one in their lives may be able to relate or understand to what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And after Matea passed, we really felt like we wanted to do more to serve this community of families that we had sort of sat in their shoes for this period of our lives. Wow. What an incredible story. You described how the like the externals were stripped away. I feel like 
when someone experiences something like this, that that's one of the things that happens is like everything that's not really important in life just fades out of the picture. And we're left with what's most important. And we're left with like, what's truth? What life lessons or discoveries did you make during those nine and a half months that that you could share? Yeah, I think for us, it became very clear that families and people and the connection with them is so important. And we made connections with people that I didn't expect to even be the ones that would be the ones helping to take care of me. And being aware of the people around us and how they're connecting and caring for one another, that became really important. I came across a quote that's sort of been our our motto in some ways while I was bedside with Matea. And it resonated with me so much. It was life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And for us, that is where we found our source of sort of hope and joy. Like, hey, we weren't guaranteed that life wasn't going to have some challenges. Yeah, this is a really challenging thing in our lives right now. And But the reality is all of us are going to have some sort of challenges, whatever they are along the way. And we get to choose how to react to them. And so that that was a really big truth for us. And it really has shaped every point of our life since. Wow. I just love the spirit that you and Gary had where you made that decision that, you know, you weren't going to be like the lady that you saw that, you know, felt bitter about what was happening to her and that instead you were going to find joy in the journey as you described. That's just such a great way of looking at any experience that anyone could have. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot of guests on the podcast that have experienced some type of life challenges, but it's pretty hard to compare a life challenge to losing a child. Like, you know, I've got two little ones myself right now, and that seems like it'd be one of the most difficult things possible to go through. And the fact that you were able to find the joy in the experience, that you're able to find ways of celebrating the milestones, you know, of creating positive memories that you can, I'm sure, still look back on now. It's, it's just so admirable. It's so admirable that you're able to do that. Well, thanks. We were with some help along the way, but we're incredibly grateful that when she passed, we were blessed with a lot of peace. And that really did allow us to move forward in a different way. And our hopes to try to help some, some other families to feel that too. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that you have translated this experience into a desire to help other families mm-hmm. that are going through the same thing. And so you started Matea's Joy uh, as a nonprofit. What's the mission of the organization? Yeah. So the mission of Matea's Joy is to bring joy in the journey to families with sick kids. And it's a simple mission. And we find some pretty unique and fun ways to, to reach families. Yeah. Tell us about some of those ways. So we started it in April of 2010. So shortly after she passed away. And to be honest, I think part of it was healing for Gary and I. We wanted a reason to go back and sort of see the hospital staff, the nurses, and even the the housekeeping and security staff, these people that kind of became extended family for us for so many months. And we brought dinner to the families in the neonatal intensive care unit in the pediatric intensive care unit called the NICU and the PICU. And at first, we just brought pizza. 
And it was Gary and I, and we brought it to the lounge and said, Hey, we know that sometimes it's hard to think about everything going on. Here's dinner. And so we brought dinner and soda and just shared it with families. And we started bringing it once a month. That was our goal, as well as cooking at the Ronald McDonald House, because that was somewhere we could bring our our daughter to come and serve with us. And it kind of started from there. It grew up until COVID. We were bringing dinner monthly to Comer Children's Hospital at the University of Chicago monthly and serving every family in the hospital. So through that process, we've served over 10,000 families dinner since we started in 2010. Over 10,000 families have been served. Yeah, kind of cool. Yeah. And I would guess you you guys have developed some really close relationships with other families that have experienced the same thing that you did. Yeah. Probably the best part of the work we do is being able to sit with someone and hear their story to just, and we've, we've met some really remarkable families over the years. Yeah. Is there a story that stands out that you could share that was, uh, that was really powerful? There is one mom I met. So we, as I mentioned earlier, the hospital's about an hour from our home. So when we go up there, it feels like we're disconnected from maybe our community, but our community gets sent to this hospital a lot. So so there's numerous stories that I've just met families that literally live down the street from me at home that I didn't know. And that's really neat. You sort of bond. And But there's one mom that came in during a dinner and she was just having a rough day. And uh, she sat with me on the couch in the lounge and I just listened to her. And she said to me, will you come meet my, my daughter? And I was like, if you want me to, if you give me that privilege, I'm happy to. We didn't go to the rooms. We just stayed in the lounges typically. And she, that was important to her. She wanted to share her child, which for mm. so many of those families, having visitors come and having family come, especially if you're up there for a long time, is kind of rare. Like it's hard for people to take time to come and visit and be there and whatever. So she, that was important to her. So I walked down the hallway with her and I sort of knew as we were getting close, she was in Matea's room. Like I lived in that room for months and, um, it was a really special moment for me to be able to share and meet her daughter. And I didn't tell her that was our room, but that was sacred space for me. And so that was really one of the more remarkable moments I've had serving. Wow. That's incredible, Jamie. I can just imagine the feeling of the realization as you're walking down the hall and you're getting closer and closer and then you realize it is. Yeah. It is in the same room. Yeah. That's yeah. just amazing. Wow. What are some of the other projects that you and Gary engage in to help serve others? Yeah. So since then, I mean, it's been over 10 years. And so we have a whole board of individuals that serve and volunteer with us and they're incredible. And we've grown our programs over the years as a result of all of that support. One of the first things we added were transfer packets. As I mentioned briefly earlier, there are families that are transferred in from outside community hospitals to Comer Children's Hospital and other Chicago-based hospitals. And we gave them like a tip sheet some information because when their child gets transferred, it's pretty immediate. It's like, hey, we're putting your child on a helicopter. You cannot get in with them. Here you go. We'll see you at the hospital. So it, it just gave them some quick tips, the address to the hospital, a fuel card, some parking passes to get them started and directions of how to get more because parking in a city is expensive regardless of whether you're at a hospital and a food gift card. 
so that they just had at least one meal on us. So we've provided those over the last 10 years for families that get transferred to kind of help them in a moment that really is traumatic for them. We also instituted in the midst of COVID, we've had to pivot a little bit. So uh, we're not able to serve meals directly at the hospital. So we've been providing items directly to the social workers, things as simple as clothing and cell phone chargers, you name it, families that were in isolation unexpectedly, life's a little upside down just to provide them. We bring snack boxes to the hospital. They're really just boxes of snacks. And we provide those now to three Chicago-based hospitals to give to patients or mainly family members of patients so that they they have the quote we love on the box and some inspirational things inside. So the snacks, yeah, are great. That saves them a little money. They get a treat. Really, it's a reminder, hey, you're not alone in this and uh, maybe give them a little hope to their day. And Joy Day, we just started this year in lieu of our dinners. We bring care packages for every aged patient and the parent's bedside that gets distributed once a month at Comer Children's Hospital to bring joy to their day. And again, we're just looking for simple things that help parents remember their, their, we remember them. We sort of, we sat in their shoes. Hey, you've got this because they need that reminder. It's not easy to be sitting bedside with a sick kiddo. And whether they're there one night or they're there for months, it is their worst nightmare. That is not what they planned. So we just want them to feel loved. Yeah. So great. So great. I'm really inspired just listening to you describe everything. And Joy is Matea's middle name. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. So yeah. Her, her name was Matea Joy. That's great. Jamie, why do you think everyone listening should practice some sort of acts of service in their life? Yeah. I mean, I think service at its heart is the pathway to inviting joy into your life. I think humans are naturally pretty selfish and it's really easy to get hung up on what is difficult in our lives or what challenges are going on or just things we need to do. The to-do list gets long really fast. And for me, serving other people refocuses. It lets me, when we go up and serve our monthly dinners, my husband and I would consistently say on the drive home, it just reset life. Like it, the things that felt busy or hectic or challenging, they're like, hey, we've got this. Like when you look at others, it makes you grateful for what's in your life. And it creates this just influence of, of joy and gratitude if you, if you let it. That is so powerful. How can anyone help your cause, Jamie, whether it's uh, Cutco Vector people from the Chicagoland area or anybody else? How might they be able to contribute? Yeah, you can go to mateasjoy.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Facebook slash mateasjoy. And you can donate to the cause. As things open up with COVID, you can volunteer to come with us for dinners. And we take you know, item donations as well towards our Joy Day project. And we're looking always for opportunities to spread our message of joy in the journey. So any groups that you think may be influenced by our message, we're happy to share it. That's so great. And as you look into your own future, what's most exciting to you? The things that are most exciting is creating additional spaces and opportunities to connect with these families that we serve. Creating this space for them to share their story is really the heart of this work. And as I get to grow and expand that, it's just, it, that's exciting to me. Yeah. 
Well, this has been really great, Jamie. So much great information and inspiration combined. Your story is really, really compelling. And I'm very, very grateful to have had these uh, ideas shared here on the podcast today. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. All right. Jamie Friedland, everyone. Of course, I love hearing all the Cutco stuff and the lessons that she got from her Cutco experience, like the growth mindset and failing forward, setting goals, all that stuff is great. It was her first entrepreneurial experience, and that set the tone for who she wanted to be in her business side of her life the rest of her life. And I just think that's that's a common thread that a lot of uh, young people in Cutco experience is they realize that being an entrepreneur is the path that they want to be on in life. And, and uh, it's just a great path to be on as a business person. Don't underestimate the value of millimeter steps as you're growing your organization, as you're achieving, as you're working towards achieving your goals. That was a great point. Boy, the story of Matea, certainly one of the most compelling stories that we featured here on the podcast. And that moment when Jamie and Gary saw another parent who had lost her child and they realized how they wanted to be, right? In that case, they saw something that what they didn't want, but it helped them realize that they wanted to find a way to experience joy in the journey, to be able to celebrate the many milestones that came about for their daughter. And they were inspired and motivated in the end to pay it forward to other families going through the same thing. The moment when Jamie was walking down the hall with the other mother that wanted her to see her daughter, and she realized it was Matea's room that the other little girl was in. Man, that moment hit me really hard. Just everything kind of came full circle right there. And it was just such a powerful story from Jamie's personal experience. I love that Jamie said that acts of service to others is the pathway to inviting joy, that it refocuses you, it provides a perspective, helps make you grateful for all the things you do have. I certainly think it's something that all of us should have as a part of our regular activity at whatever cadence makes sense for you, whether it's a daily or weekly or monthly, that there's something we do that contributes to others. Let's all resolve to do that. If you're inspired to contribute to Jamie's nonprofit, it's mateasjoy.org, M-A-T-T-E-A-S-J-O-Y.org. You can make a donation there. I would also encourage you if you are inspired to reach out to Jamie and let her know. Hope you enjoyed this, everyone. Thanks and have a wonderful rest of your day. I hope you have joy in your journey. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. 
You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.